This is Audiblegate. An alliance of authors, narrators and publishers to win justice against Audible. For years, this Amazon subsidiary, the world's largest audiobook retailer, has been ripping off audiobook creators, finding all kinds of inventive ways not to pay us and devastating culture as it goes. But not anymore. We're here to put a stop to Audible's fraud and invite you to join us at audiblegate.com. Is Amazon a predatory corporation, or has it mended its ways under new CEO Andy Jassy? Here's what he had to say. At the end of the day, whatever company you're using a product or a service from, you have to trust them. And uh, you have to be accountable for your actions. You have to be held responsible if you misuse it. Really, Mr. Jassy? Are we to understand you're going to repay the years of earnings stolen from authors and narrators through your bastard child, Audible? In this episode of the Audible Gate podcast, we ask Erin Wright, founder of Wide for the Win, for her view on whether Amazon is as trustworthy as Jassy would have you believe. So Erin Wright, good morning to you. Good morning. You are our first guest on season two of the Audiblegate podcast. William and I are the new hosts. Morning, Erin. And we're delighted to have you. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. And you are the founder of Wide for the Win. Yeah, yeah. Co-founder, Susie O'Connell and I were the crazy people who were like, hey, let's do this back in March of 2019. Luckily, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into or we never would have done it. (laughs) How long have you been publishing? Uh, Since the fall of 2016. And you write mainly, is it Western Romance? It is, yep. Contemporary Western romance. So sexy cowboys, sexy firefighters, sexy firefighters who are cowboys, you know, the drill. How many books do you have out now? I have 15. So not the biggest catalog in the world, but not the smallest. And do you have series? I do, actually. So all of my books take place in the same world. It happens to be a real world called Long Valley in Idaho. And it also happens to be my favorite place to go on vacation. You live in Idaho too, don't you? I do. So I unfortunately don't live in Long Valley where my books take place because Long Valley is beautiful and mountainous. And I would love to live up there actually. But I live in southern Idaho, which is mostly flat uh, lava rock and sagebrush. (laughs) I'm doing a good job of selling this, but (laughs) it's good potato country. I live in potato country. So. Yes, I heard that. In fact, I remember once I was on a train coming from London going south and I started talking to two American guys and I said, I wanted to go on a ski trip. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, we talked about Utah and Colorado and I said, oh, and, and Idaho. I'm thinking about going skiing in Idaho. They go, Idaho? That's potato country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, potatoes grow really, really well in volcanic soil. You just need water and potatoes. So I live in farm country, 
the mountains are beautiful for skiing and hiking and such. We've got it all here in Idaho. Now I'm sounding better. Now I sound more like a advertising company. Now you're selling it. There you go. <laughs> Come to Idaho where you can raft down the river and swim and fish and ski and pick potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. <laughs> well, how, think... is it, how is that accent for, what's Frodo's friend's name? Bilbo Baggins. Boil them, mm. mash them, oh, yeah. stick them in a stew. Yeah, we have the world's largest um, potato. Um, Congratulations. Uh, no, 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 no. The, what is it called? Museum. That's the word I was looking for. We have the world's largest potato museum here in Idaho. Now, oh. see, there's a reason to come to Idaho. <laughs> there the you go. The building is shaped like a potato. I know you're not surprised by this. And out of your catalog, how many are in audiobook version? Almost all of them. My audiobook situation is different than most people in that because of working and being visible and wide for the win. Yeah. I had a company, a very small company of just a couple of guys approach me and say, hey, we would love to produce your audiobooks for you. And so we'll just pay for the cost of the narration and we'll let you pick your own narrator and we'll let you provide your own cover so that everything is consistent. And uh, then we'll just split the profits with you. And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> Where's the dotted line? I'm signing now. <laughs> we work together yeah. in terms of like advertising and such, almost like I produced my own, but I didn't have to pay for them, <laughs> which is amazing. You must have been doing yeah. cartwheels when, you, uh, when they came does. to you with that offer because it's such a big undertaking to produce audiobooks. Yes, it really, really is. So did you have the same narrator for the whole series? I do. So, yep, I wanted, because all of my books take place in the same world and, and there's just that continuity between the characters and such, I wanted that to be there for all of my audiobooks too. So I just have uh, Sarah Rogue is her okay. name, and she just does all of them. I am a big audiobook listener myself, and when authors switch narrators partway through a series, it is terrible. <laughs> like, don't mess Agreed. with my world. So this is a kind of a big thing for me is like, that was part of the agreement was that I got to have the same narrator the whole way through. So it's kind of strange in that I've never actually uploaded an audiobook anywhere, right? Because that's not my part of the deal. Oh, so all of that is done for you? Yeah. It's almost like I have an assistant for audiobooks, but that assistant also pays for the audiobooks, which makes it like the best assistant on the planet. <laughs> oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> I truly understand that. I really, really do. Do you know what their distribution channels are? So they go direct to ACX. And then, of course, ACX publishes to not only Audible and Amazon, but also iTunes. And then they use Findaway Voices, and they also publish to iTunes. And so there's a form that you have to fill out to get rid of your duplicates. And you definitely want to, of course, keep the one from Findaway Voices because your, your royalties are higher and you have control over your pricing. And then we upload direct to Kobo. Yes, Kobo are fairly new to the game. It's just been what, the last year or so that we've been able to upload directly. And yeah. have you run a promotion through Kobo yet? Mm-hmm. 
So they have a newsletter list that if you want to get into a Kobo promotion for your audiobooks, you do have to be uploaded directly to them. And you have to email Kobo at writinglifeatkobo.com and ask to be added to the newsletter list to be informed when they're running another promotion because they don't put it on their dashboard like they do their ebook promotions. So a lot of people don't even realize that those promotions are there because you have to request to be added to that list. So just a quick shout out for anybody who didn't know that was a possibility. Definitely want to do that. Yeah, the Kobo has improved because when I first, I just experimented with one audiobook and at the time it was early days and I wasn't able to upload a sample. So the audiobook was there, but the sample wasn't, Mm. but that's changed now. You can add the samples on Kobo. Yeah. They are definitely encouraging you to upload direct. They do not want you to use Findaway Voices to get to them. So if you are willing to take the time to do it, you'll make more progress on the Kobo storefront yeah. if you do take the time to upload direct. So you do okay, have to I'll ask you... for that tab to be added to your dashboard. Right, and they will give you more support and more promotion for your audiobooks or access to it at least. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And honestly, their promotions are, they say in the email, apply for this promotion and just assume that you have been accepted unless we tell you otherwise. Oh, like that's okay. how non-competitive their audiobook promotions are right now. Right. So that's it. that is until this podcast goes out, then everybody's going to know about it. <laughs> that's how it works with us. We're, we're generous right? and we share information. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much my philosophy and view on the world is to help other people. So, Sure. Aaron, can you tell us how did you first become aware of AudibleGate? What was your first personal experience? So being in Wide for the Win, my first experience was when people started posting that all of a sudden they were having huge returns. And, you know, if I continue to have these kinds of returns, I'll be owing audible money. And this is ridiculous. And I can't make money like this. And we know now that it was a glitch, right? But at the time, everybody just thought that this was the new normal and didn't realize that this was a a glitch just showing us how many returns they were accepting all along and just had been hiding from us. And so for me personally, because I use a company to publish my books. I was not seeing these returns on my own dashboard because I don't have a dashboard, but I was listening to all of the authors freaking out. And I actually had several authors reach out to me and say, you know, this is something as the head of White for the Wind that you should be in charge of and you should like fight and, you know, go take on Audible and tell us how it goes kind of a thing. And I'm like, I'm really good at running a Facebook group, but I am not capable of fighting Audible. But when I heard that Ally was taking this on and fighting the good fight, I was thrilled beyond words because I just knew there was no way that I could do it uh, myself. And then they, of course, did bunches of negotiations and are now taking them to court. So I set up a monthly donation to donate to Ally, and I've also posted about it on my personal page and in Wide for the Wind, telling others to donate to Ally and to help fight this. Yeah, Ally is the Alliance of Independent Authors, and they joined forces with us in the Audible Gate campaign 
near the beginning, and uh, they've remained steadfast with us throughout this. So you're talking about donating at the donor box page, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The campaign. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, um, donations are important. It will certainly go a long way towards paying for some of the upfront legal fees. So that thank you so much for that and encouraging others to do it. For somebody who is listening to the podcast for the first time, what is Wide for the Win? So another Western romance author and I, back in March of 2019, got pretty frustrated with the Facebook groups that were out there for authors that focus pretty much exclusively on KU, Kindle Unlimited, and being enrolled in KDP Select. And my friend Susie and I are both diehard widelings. Um, (laughs) We're all about being wide and diversifying. And that was a big struggle for both of us going into these other author groups. And it was nothing but how do you rank well on Amazon and how do you use your five free days and how do you, how do you, how do you Amazon ads, blah, blah, blah. And so we were daydreaming of like, wouldn't it be amazing if we just had a group where discussion of Kindle Unlimited was verboten, right? Like you can't do that here. (laughs) So we thought, well, we could do that. So we started this group. And uh, I really just thought it was going to be like 100 people, you know, just come in, hang out. I didn't think there were that many widelings out in the world, honestly. And so it's really crazy to me that we are coming up on 10,000 authors now in the group, which is insane. (laughs) Um, A lot of them, of course, are not actually wide authors themselves, or they may be partially wide, but a lot of authors join wanting to learn how to be a successful wide author. So then they can take the plunge and not have it be quite so scary. So Wide for the Win is a Facebook group? Mm-hmm. Were you wide from the beginning? I actually was not. So when I first got into the writing world, all of the people who I knew were all in Kindle Unlimited. And everybody joked about how dumb you would be to go wide because, you know, only idiots go wide because that's you can't make any money that way. And so I, of course, was in Kindle Unlimited myself because I wasn't an idiot. I was, you know, I was going to make all the money. And I happened to get into the author world just as KU 2.0 was being rolled out. So they were, they were switching over from 10% of your book to being read and then you just getting a full payout to paying per page. And I literally joined the author community the weekend that was being rolled out. So I'm joining these author groups and they're talking all about this. And I'm just confused as can be because I did not understand KU 1.0, let alone KU 2.0. And what's the difference? And what are we discussing here? (laughs) What's going on? Um, But yeah, when I started actually publishing, I was in Kindle Unlimited. But I used to be a librarian in a former life. I was a librarian for seven years. And I found out that along with all the other platforms that you can't put your books on, if you're Kindle Unlimited exclusive, you also can't get your books into libraries. And I was like, excuse me, (laughs) what do you mean I can't put my books into libraries? And uh, so between that and then Amazon was making a whole bunch of changes where they were closing a bunch of accounts down. It was very scary time. I just said, heck to this, I'm going wide. And what year was this? 
this was like late 2016. Right. I'm morally allergic to being exclusive. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Comparing your experience before Audiblegate, did you notice any sales changes, your, your payment after the glitch? The vast majority of our income is not coming from Audible. It's coming from Google Play, from Chirp, from other sites. So I don't think that Audiblegate honestly affected me on a personal level, because so little of our income was coming from it anyway. So you kind of prevented yourself from from feeling the impact of it by going wide early, and that allowed you to not experience the dramatic changes in income that a lot of people experienced because they had gone exclusive with ACX and Audible, and you were able to largely avoid that. Yeah, exactly. My eggs were never all in that basket to begin with. So when that basket got dropped, it was like, oh, that's just that small basket over there, right? So Audible is definitely one of the smaller baskets in terms of my audio income. Yeah, it's very useful for people to be aware that they don't have to play the game of of Amazon and your statements will allow other people to realize that there are other options and they don't. It's just like investing, diversify your investments financially and and you did that with your with your books you're reminding me that once when i was uh, very cut up about a breakup and i was talking to a friend of mine he's from eastern europe and he said you have to diversify your portfolio <laughs> <laughs> that's not normally a statement that's made in terms of relationships but okay <laughs> Well, it helped, it helped at the time, actually. It's, um, it, it did make me realize that there's a, there's a bigger world out there than just my uh, pain over this one person. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I was going to say before I forgot, I'm very good friends with, there's a small group of us, about six authors. And out of this group, I'm the smaller of the fish in terms of income. And the other authors are even more successful than I am because they're faster authors than I am for one thing. But they are all wide. They are all small town romance authors and they all have their books in audio. And there isn't a single one of them who's exclusive on their audio. And there isn't a single one of them who makes the majority of their income from Audible. All of them are wide in their audio and all of them make more money outside of Audible. So... I'm not an unusual case. It is very common that once you get outside of the bubble of Audible, that you just make a lot more money on the other platforms. That's really encouraging. You know, we need exemplars that you can uh, show us how it's done and wean us all off any disproportionate reliance on Audible. Uh, we are business owners as authors and authorpreneurs, as we like to say, right? We, mm. when we put all of our business really at the hands of another company, how independent are we really? Yeah. We are no longer can truly be indie authors because we are not independent. We are dependent upon this other company for our entire livelihood. And that's just scary. So when you are that dependent upon another company that really does not care about you or your business, 
you're not in a codependent relationship even. You're just, <laughs> you're like almost like a fan or somebody who follows a superstar around. You, you're obsessed with that superstar. That superstar doesn't even know you exist, right? It's not healthy. Aaron, have you found any backlash from authors? I know in the audiobook community, narrators were divided on how much they should oppose ACX Audible. There's been negative comments about Audiblegate, how people shouldn't rock the boat. Did you experience any of that in the author community, authors who said, you know, tried to tell you that you shouldn't oppose or you shouldn't try to go outside of Kindle Unlimited or Amazon's business structure? The number one rule in Wide for the Win is thou shalt not speak of Kindle Unlimited, <laughs> right? Like they, we are there specifically to talk about being wide. And I have had very uh, awful, let's just say awful, feedback from people who say that I'm a terrible human being for running Wide for the Win and not allowing Kindle Unlimited discussions in the group. I've had people tell me that I should step down from Wide for the Win and let somebody else run it who won't destroy it like I have. You know, all the good fun stuff. <laughs> I don't talk all about that. All the naysayers. Right. I don't talk about that very often because it's just like, it's just part of being in the public. You're going to get shit when you're visible publicly. The debate gets very polarized and binary. It is. And I just find that I do my best work when I am focused on helping wide authors succeed. And if someone is uh, going to be focused on how to succeed as a Kindle Unlimited author or wants to make that the, the focus of the discussion, uh, they are perfectly welcome to do that in any other group. But yeah. in Wide for the Win, they're not. The whole point of starting this Facebook group in March of 2019 was to have a place where there was a haven where that was not a discussion. That was the whole point of it. And I'm not going to change that. So what are the inducements, do you think, that Amazon and Audible are dangling in front of authors to persuade them to be exclusive? Amazon always stacks a deck in their favor. Right. They say, we'll give you a higher percentage if you're exclusive. They also make your books more visible if you're exclusive. They show up higher in search results. They do all of this with ebooks, they do all of it with audiobooks. So they're not playing fair. Yeah, and favor their own titles because they not only mm -hmm. run a sales platform, but they are also a publisher themselves. So they will publish, for instance, I write epic poetry and that category is stacked with Amazon's own publications that they promote yep. and are at the top of the bestseller lists. Similarly with the audiobook platform, Audible has its own recording studios, produces its own audiobooks, and then favors those over the audiobooks that are there on their sales platform. This is exactly why wide authors in both ebooks and audiobooks over time will make more money off the Amazon ecosphere than they do within it because Amazon so heavily promotes their own stuff, whether they're making it themselves or whether it's exclusive to them, they are going to 
make it more visible. They're going to push it to more people. It's going to show up in more Osobots. It's going to show up higher in search results. It's going to be picked more often for sales, all of those things. And so Amazon is punishing you for going wide. So you do get punished, sure. But you also get the freedom of publishing on all of these other platforms and the competition is less there. The ability to have more visibility organically is higher and you end up making more money off those wide storefronts. So when I very first went wide with my eBooks, I was about, I want to say it was either 80 or 85% of my income came from Amazon. And steadily over the years, that dropped, but I am now down to 35 to 40% of my ebook income coming from Amazon. And I make more money than I ever did before, right? Hallelujah. So, it, yeah, <laughs> but it took like four and a half years of steady work, of promoting, working with, publishing on these wide platforms and having a wide mindset. When I very first joined and the whole world was switching over from KU 1.0 to KU 2.0, there were people in this group that I belonged to who went wide. And within a month, 99% of them were back to being in KU. And everybody who had stayed in KU was like, well, we told you so. You can't ever make any money outside of Kindle Unlimited. And as a Kindle Unlimited author at that point, I was like, wow, yeah, all those people tried and failed. Boy, it really must be hard to make money as a white author. And now, years later, looking back on that, I'm like, holy cow, are you kidding me? They tried for like three weeks and then they failed. Of course they mm. failed after three weeks. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> you know, like we as authors take years to build up our platform build up our readership base and build up our catalog in Kindle Unlimited or exclusive to Audible. And then we take it wide and within weeks, we're like, well, it didn't work. Why are we so impatient to succeed on wide storefronts when we were not that impatient to succeed on Amazon and Audible? It really is just having that wide mindset and being patient to see the goal in the end and sticking with it. It takes time. There isn't a way around that. It took time to build up your career to begin with. It's going to take time to build up your wide career. That's just life. It seems to me that whatever predatory practices are in operation at Amazon, that it's heightened. It's even more in play with its audiobook operations, i.e. Audible. Yeah, it is predatory. They have all the lawyers. They have <laughs> $10,000 suits on their side of the table, and they are not going to play fair. They're a corporation, and they are built to make a profit. They are not built to treat authors fairly. The only reason that Amazon pays 70% most of the time, but not really, on their ebooks is because Apple did. I don't know how many of your listeners know that, but when the Amazon platform first came out, KDP Dashboard, they were paying you 35% royalties. Apple oh. comes out and they started paying 70% royalties. And Amazon was getting their asses handed to them. So then they changed it. Oh, oh, oh we're going to pay 70% too. But 
We pay 35% in all of these countries, unless you're exclusive to us, of course. And we also have a delivery fee. No other platform does that. Every other platform, it is the same royalty across the board. It only changes depending on how much your book costs. And there's no delivery fee. So even when Amazon claims that they pay 70%, they really don't. Um, Sounds like I, they tried to figure out ways to claw back part of that 70% by having other fees or different arrangements in different countries. A thousand percent, because they really did not want to offer 70%. I mean, obviously, they started out at 35%. They were hoping that that's all they would have to offer authors and that authors would go for it. So when Apple came in and offered a true 70%, it forced Amazon to behave themselves, kind of. I calculated it one day and it was thousands and thousands of dollars that I have paid in delivery fees. Hmm. Don't ever calculate that, by the way. You will be very unhappy. <laughs> so yeah, people just sort of ignore that, right? That's just a little bit of money. It's just like a quarter or whatever. No, it really adds up. Amazon wants to hide those extra costs somewhere in the details. I don't know what the payment reports look like for Kindle Unlimited, but through ACX, it's a very complicated and not easy to understand breakdown of sales each month. And that is a thousand percent on purpose. If anybody thinks that that's just the way that it has to be, they are deluding themselves. Audible, aka Amazon, is intentionally obfuscating. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. Anyway, they're hiding. <laughs> I'll use my, my 10 cent word. They're hiding their structure, they're hiding their fees, they're making it as difficult as possible to have you actually understand what's going on absolutely on purpose. Because if you do know what's going on, you're going to rise up and you're going to rebel, which is exactly what happened when this glitch happened. Somebody's head at Amazon rolled because of that glitch. You know it did. Because they had up to that point been able to hide the amount of returns that they were accepting. And they've been able to hide a lot of their business practices. So that glitch cost them more money than <laughs> than most of us will ever make in a lifetime, you know? So yeah, this is absolutely their strategy. It is their corporate playbook is to make it as difficult as possible to figure it out so that you just give up and say, okay, I guess I'll just agree to it because what else am I going to do? Yeah, that's why when in the early days of Audible Gate and Colleen Cross was analyzing the earnings statements from Audible, she has a background in forensic accounting. So it takes the skills of a forensic accountant to figure out what Audible is doing. And even then, it's still murky because we do not get to see behind the curtain. We do not get to see the equations that are playing in the background and that are penalizing us that we don't even see. Exactly. And again and again, it's all on purpose. I am so grateful for calling Cross. Like I said, I had people who were like, oh, you should do this. And I'm like, uh, no, I am not a forensic auditor, right? This is not anywhere near my skill set. 
Um, and so it just was impossible for me to do. And that is exactly what they count on is for this to be too difficult for the average person to ever have any hope of understanding. But yeah, having Colleen Cross, they're fighting on our behalf and showing us even with her knowledge and background, all that she could show us. There's still all that is left that we don't know yet. They are playing with our careers and hoping that we don't notice. And that's not okay. Yeah. Colleen really opened up a lot of our eyes and because I felt like it was so complicated to try to understand sales reports that were put out by ACX. And, you know, I was glad to find out that it wasn't just me who was finding it murky and confusing and not easy to understand. And Colleen really opened not only my eyes, but a lot of people about how it is difficult to understand. Well, and that really is a great game for them to play of like, well, if you were just smarter, you would understand how this reads. And so then you think, oh, well, I'm just a dummy over here, right? So you don't ask as many questions because who wants to admit that they're the dummy? It's almost like the emperor wears no clothes. Everybody else must be smarter than I am. Everybody else must understand this. I must be the only one who's this dumb. So I'm just going to sit down and be quiet and not draw any attention to myself because I don't want to look like the dummy in the room. So this is their game. Yeah, even when you do raise queries with ACX by emailing info at acx.com or support at acx.com, the answers that come back are pre-scripted, boilerplate, empty words that do not begin to address the question that's been raised and just make the whole thing even more frustrating than it already was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really, you send in a question, what color is the sky today? And they write back and they say, the square root of nine is three. And you're like, exactly. what? <laughs> okay. No attempt was... to address the question. Yeah. <laughs> none. None. And they don't even try to hide the fact that they're not attempting to answer the question. You know, they don't even say like, well, the sky's color today is the square root of nine. No, they just say, oh, the square root of nine is three. And you're just like, oh, hold on. What? What just happened here? They're very polite about it. You know, like, thank you for contacting us today. Stay healthy. We hope your family is well and safe over this period. And we wish you every (laughs) blessing and success in your coming year and over the holidays and blah, blah, blah. Just answer the fucking question. Yes. Yes. They hope that if they just frustrate you long enough, you'll just give up and go away. And they've got this guy who shows up because a lot of these emails from ACX support are signed by... Dennis or Denis, D-E-N-I-S, and we're all trying to figure out who he is or if he's a robot. I call him ACX's avatar of indifference. (laughs) (laughs) Friendly, friendly avatar of indifference. If you're starving to death, at least you know they want you to have a great holiday season. Yes, as you lay dying on the street corner, you'll be like, at least ACX cares about me and wants me to have a happy season. Matches, matches, penny a box. Will someone listen to my audiobook? I'm here in the corner, I'm calling out oh, to God. anyone who will listen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I really-
really hope that people listening to us have a dark sense of humor. Uh, I hope we're not terribly offending people, but it's really true. Like, it's just empty words. They sat down and they programmed a script, a bot, to respond with a bunch of bullshit that doesn't respond at all, doesn't address any of your questions, and the name of the game is a waiting game. Who will give up first, you or the bot? The bot's always going to win. The bot doesn't get tired. You know, right. you can keep sending emails till you're blue in the face and you keel over, but the bot's never going to get tired. The bot never needs to take a break. The bot never screams at this computer screen in, in frustration of like, just answer the damn question. Nope. Exactly. So Aaron, looking at 2021 and how it's gone so far, ACX has made some concessions to authors and narrators. How do you view those concessions? Some of their concessions were important, like not allowing returns for a full 365 days, right? That was absolutely ridiculous. And anybody who has ever bought a digital item from Amazon in terms of music or movies or TV shows knows that that's total bullshit. You don't get to return those. Once you have opened them up and hit play on your TV show, that's the end. You do not get to send that TV show back and say, uh, I didn't mean to purchase this or never mind, I didn't enjoy it. That's not a thing. So yeah, we got them down. Now it's only a week. But why is it a week? You don't get to return, you know, the latest blockbuster movie. Why do we have that concept in our minds that you should be able to return an audiobook? You shouldn't. You shouldn't be able to return an ebook either, for that matter. If you had a bad experience, write a bad review. If it was terribly done, then the world needs to know about it. But there are a lot of terrible movies out there. The world knows about those too, and they cannot be returned. Why are ebooks, why are audiobooks allowed to be returned at all. Barring some sort of a technical glitch where half the book wasn't delivered or half the audiobook wasn't delivered or, you know, whatever. Barring that, no, it shouldn't be allowed. And it isn't allowed. On all other platforms, virtually all other platforms, it is not allowed. So the idea, well, we just have to allow Amazon to do this is bullshit. No, we really don't. Uh, the movie industry doesn't. And ACX has added this idea of qualified returns, which to me, I, I've never figured out what that means. Maybe you have. Have you figured out what does qualified returns actually mean? Yeah, no, no, I have no idea, actually. It's just more empty legalese that they can use that isn't pin downable. That should be a word. Where then they can't be in breach of contract because the contract means whatever the hell they want it to mean. So the, again, this is all back to their game plan. What about the position that Ally, the Alliance of Independent Authors, is taking on returns, which is saying that audiobooks shouldn't be returnable after more than 25% has been listened to? What's your view on that, Erin? I personally say it should not be returnable. You've got a preview. You can listen to that preview and you can decide before you purchase that audiobook if you want the damn audiobook. If you do, you buy it. If you don't, you don't. The fact that you haven't listened to that preview is on you. 
if it isn't an enjoyable experience, leave a bad review. That's what everybody does for TVs and movies. Does anybody say, I watched 25% of this movie and now I want to return it? That isn't a thing. So I'm also a realist of like, if Ally can make it happen and they can get it down to just 25%, then you know what? That's better than it is right now. And I'm going to be happy and I'm going to cheer them all the way. It's a lot like, I don't know about you guys, but food always tastes better when somebody else cooks it. So if I don't have to be the one negotiating it, I'm going to agree to almost anything that they end up doing because I'll be like, at least I didn't have to be in charge of it. (laughs) And of course, we'd be relying on Amazon and Audible and ACX to report fairly about the 25%. Yeah. And that's always been difficult. I mean, on every level, how do you know that every sale that actually happens, you're getting paid for? Print, ebook, audiobook, any of it. How do you actually know that? You have to be reliant upon these companies because what, are you going to fly to their headquarters and do a forensic audit on all the different companies that you work with every year just to make sure they're paying you the right amount? It really does come down to a level of trust. And the real issue is nobody trusts Amazon. At least I don't. (laughs) And with valid reason, because there's no way, as far as I know, there's absolutely no way to independently verify sales. I, I don't know of any way that anybody has figured out to do that. Yeah, which I have read a lot of serial app contracts and such lately, and they all have clauses in there of if you want to audit their books, these are the steps that you go through. This is how you do it. This is who's in charge of paying for it. This is the remedies. If you do find discrepancies, blah, 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 blah. That's actually pretty standard in contracts. The fact that we don't have that for Amazon, again, it says a lot about Amazon and none of it is positive. Yeah. It reminds me, I recorded a voiceover commercial and... I received the studio fee, the fee that that I was paid to come in. But most of the revenue at that time was from residuals. And I didn't get any residuals from this commercial. So I ended up calling the production company. I said, did you you run this commercial? Yes. Um, Well, I haven't received any residuals. But of course, that is a huge, that is a hugely labor intensive thing to have to do. And we don't have the time. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to trust these platforms. And alas, Audible has proven itself completely untrustworthy, completely opaque. And it's yeah. uh, caused a lot of resentment to brew in the author community. And um, as you say, Audible don't care. Or, I mean, they pretend to care, but we know that they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really not much of a conspiracy theorist at all. But... There's a difference between like a wild ass conspiracy theory that has no foundation and just seeing the way that a company works. And Amazon's whole company strategy is to be as obtuse and as difficult as possible to hide as much as possible and just hope that authors give up. That's, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just a fact. That's just the way they operate. So what do you think of reducing the exclusivity period, lock-in period to three months? Well, I mean, you know, being a white author as I am, any sort of exclusivity just makes my skin crawl. 
in a Aaron Wright world, we wouldn't have it. Everybody would get paid the same percentage. There wouldn't be an exclusivity period, period. Amazon is the one and only platform out there that is trying to bully their way into having authors agree to do this because authors feel like they have to because they need that extra visibility that comes along with being exclusive to Amazon and Audible. But this, again, is an Amazon construct. And new authors, I'm thinking of new authors, new narrators just getting into it, not knowing anything, looking out there at the different options, would choose Amazon as a distributor because, hey, it's fast Mm -hmm. and they reach a lot of people. And that's really where there's a lot of crossover between audio and ebook is when it comes down to it, traditional publishing allowed you to hand over your manuscript and have somebody else take care of the distribution part of it. Authors did not used to be in charge of uploading to 17 different platforms. They didn't used to be in charge of all of the admin of figuring out how each platform worked and how to get paid from each platform and blah, 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 blah. You could just hand your manuscript over and somebody else did that work for you. So now that authors, indie authors, are in charge of all of it, they're in charge of their own covers, they're in charge of their own editing, they're in charge of their own marketing, they're in charge of all their own uploading. It's overwhelming. It really is. This used to be an entire industry of people who did this all for you. And so now authors are going, holy shit. Okay, yeah, I wanted all this independence, but I also don't want to do that much work. You know what I can do? I can just make it exclusive. Then they become what they think is an indie author, but they're not. Like I said, they're dependent, not independent. Well, Amazon really wants them to think that they're still indie. Amazon tries to keep that false mantra going. Indie authors are welcome and supported at Amazon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But are they actually pro-indie authors? Oh, hell no. If they were, they would give you a full 70% across all storefronts. They would not have any exclusivity requirements on ebooks or audiobooks. They would not have delivery fees. They would have better reporting in audiobooks. They would have all of these things because they would know that it would be best for the indie author. But they don't do any of it because it's not best for them. And that's all they care about. And I do think that as time goes on, and more authors go wide with their books because that's definitely the trend is especially when Audible gate broke wide open. It stopped being as much of, well, just put it up on Audible and go wide later. The conversation shifted dramatically. The more that authors start becoming actually independent authors and stop relying on Audible and the smaller their market share becomes, the more they're going to start start having to listen to authors and they're going to have to start being more open. In the meanwhile, beating them in court is a great way to force some things to happen. But really, in a lot of ways, authors always feel so hopeless of like, Audible is this huge company. They have all these high-priced lawyers. Who am I? I'm not going to win. But you can win with your feet. You can vote by saying, I'm not going to do exclusive audiobooks with Audible and make your voices heard by posting on social media. 
donate to Ally through DonorBox, you know, do these things rather than just being passive and saying, well, it is what it is. I guess I just have to live with being screwed over. No, you don't. You really don't. Stand up for yourself. Nobody else is going to stand up for you if you don't stand up for yourself first. If you could get what you want, what changes do you think ACX could make for a better environment for authors and narrators? The one thing that I will say is in terms of royalty share, I understand why they need that to be exclusive because they have to be the ones splitting the money between the authors and the narrators, right? So if the author or the narrator can just go upload it wherever they want willy-nilly, then they're not going to be able to receive that money and then split it out. So I get that with royalty share, it needs to be exclusive in that case. Find Away Voices is able to do that and also distribute to all of these other companies. But that singular situation aside of royalty share, I don't believe that there should be any option for exclusivity. I don't believe that Audible should be keeping nearly as much of the profits as they are. I mean, this is ridiculous. We are paying thousands of dollars to audiobook narrators and to proof listeners and for cover design and for marketing. And then we upload it to ACX. All they have to do is host the damn file and they keep 75% of it. Are you kidding me? No way. It could be even more than 75% because of the fudgery exactly. that's going on with their, uh, with their earning statements. And I mean, as authors, we think of ebooks we get to keep 70% of it. If all of a sudden everybody woke up tomorrow morning and Amazon said, we're going to give you 25% royalties on your eBooks and keep 75% of your royalties on eBooks, people would lose their minds. Why is that okay with audiobooks though? Because they were the ones who got to frame the discussion from the beginning. And they're a big enough company that they were able to muscle their way in. Other companies pay higher royalties. It's only Amazon that is paying this low of royalties for audiobooks. So the idea that that's just what we have to put up with, bullshit, bullshit. So, yeah, and I would yeah. say even outside of Audible, the splits that we're getting are depressed because Audible is such a big player and it's paying out so little that it means it makes it easier for other retailers to depress what they give authors to. Right, because you don't have that competition. They just have to be a little bit higher than Audible. We don't have to have an Apple Books come in and be like, we'll pay 70% royalties. They don't have to do that. We were really lucky that Apple Books did that back in the day, but we don't have anybody who's doing that right now with audio. So we don't have that pressure. And this is where authors need to vote with their feet instead of saying it's okay to do this, to say, you know what, it's not okay. Because the more pressure we put on Amazon and Audible, the better chance we have of actually winning. So a higher royalty rate, uh, no difference between exclusivity and being wide in terms of audiobooks. Also, not have your own imprints. I don't feel like that a company should be able to have a sales platform and also put their own products on that sales platform. So the Amazon imprints get spun off. They're their own company and they do not feed back into the Amazon world at all. They are their own thing. 
let them live or die on their own merits. But stacking the deck in your own favor and having your own imprints and your own authors is really just not fair in terms of actual market economics. <laughs> it's, it's really screwing the system. Do you see this trend with Amazon changing? Do you think there's going to be more outlets in terms of audiobooks that come up as a result of Amazon's practices? Or do you think Amazon will continue to dominate unchallenged? Oh, well, you know, I am a wide author and I am also a Pollyanna. <laughs> I'm very, my, my parents named me wrong. I really should have been named Pollyanna. I'm very optimistic, positive person. And so I like to think that this is going to be changing in the author's favor. And I feel like there are some things that are pointing towards that. I don't know if a lot of people know that when Chirp was first discussed, BookBub did not want to start their own audiobook platform. That was not a thing they wanted to do. They wanted to have another BookBub that was for audiobooks, just like what they have for ebooks. So they went to Audible and they tried to get Audible to give authors the ability to drop their prices so that they could have a BookBub for an audiobook. And Audible told them to screw themselves. Not going to do it. No, we will not give you that ability to set your own prices. So Chirp ended up starting up their own damn company. All right, fine. We'll build our own platform, right? But you see a lot of that, that kind of ingenuity and like, well, okay, then I guess we're going to make our own thing happen because Audible is not willing to play ball. Yeah, and Audible is shooting itself in the foot ultimately because I expect Chirp is going to claw more and more market share Mm-hmm. Yep. And all of the platforms are working on it. I mean, Kobo, obviously, and one of the worst kept secrets in indie publishing today is that Google Play is going to be opening up their own direct uploads for audiobooks. So I didn't know that either. Oh, my God. <laughs> really learning things today. Yeah. You get all the good gossip. Yeah. All the companies are wanting to do this. This next part is not gossip that I can share in terms of, I know this is going to happen and nobody's ever said a word about this, but I just personally would not be surprised if iTunes and Apple stopped working with Audible and said, you know what, we're going to stop accepting uploads from you guys and spin that off. I'm surprised they got together in the first place. Yeah. Regarding the donor box you just mentioned, Erin, I've created a short, a simplified link. If listeners would like to donate to the campaign, the Audible Gate campaign, it's genius. So G-E-N-I dot U-S slash Audible Gate. And that'll take you through to the donor box page. I total side note, I use genius for all of my own smart links, you know, uh, short URLs. So big fan of genius over here. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. They're very useful, mm -hmm. especially because Audible and Amazon have different product codes across different yes. regions, which makes yes. it really complicated. It really does. And then they have bounty links. So, so I've put all of my various Amazon and Audible links for audiobooks into one genius link, which breaks it out by country. It's fiddly, Brilliant. but uh, it's worth it. Yeah. But yeah, I love genius links. They're the best. 
Do you have much insight about direct sales, Erin? About authors mounting audiobooks for sale on their own websites or through BookFunnel or Authors Direct? It's not something that I have done because of the way that I have my audiobooks published. But the real issue with selling direct is the same issue that you have selling direct with ebooks, which is that you already have to have your own fan base that you got from somewhere else. How are people finding your ebooks on your website? How are people finding your audiobooks on your website? Other than you selling to them through a regular platform and then enticing them over to buy from you directly. That's just not done very often. You usually go to the platform that you already buy your items from and you are looking for your books there. So when you're selling direct, you're just trying to peel off some of those readers to then go direct to you. And you're going to be able to do it, but it's at some point it becomes just a matter of visibility. How are you going to reach new readers? Even if people are willing to download a new app onto their phone and switch over to another way of getting audiobooks and blah, 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 it really becomes how do you find those people to begin with if it isn't selling through a regular platform? Is there anything else you want to share with us, Erin? Um, I don't think so. Just, I guess, you know, I'd be a bad admin if I didn't plug Wide for the Win. It's a private Facebook group, so you do have to answer a couple questions to join. And uh, we are all about fighting for the rights of indie authors and learning how to market our books wide and how to be successful widelings and how to have the kind of career that you wanted since you were a kid. We just help you learn how to succeed. So yeah, we'd love to have you come join us. And please do put your money where your mouth is. and. Donate to AudibleGate through DonorBox. They do allow one-time donations, or you can do monthly donations. So if you don't have a whole lot of money right now, but you would like to donate every month, that's a thing too. So, and don't be afraid to only donate a little bit. A lot of the parts of fighting a public battle like this is being able to point to how many people you have as donors. And who are willing to not only say that they're behind this, but put some money behind this. That's a really big thing when you're fighting a public battle like we are here. So be willing. Put every one of us, even those of us who are super poor, you can afford $3. You can afford $5. Put a donation out there and say, I'm not okay with indie authors being treated this way. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so much for your time again today, Erin. Of course, I hope it was useful. Thanks to Tantrika Sound for providing the audio quotes used in the podcast. And also to Orquesta Tipica Fernandez Fierro for the music. This is Audible Gate.